All right, well, as we uh, go down uh, memory road and think about the things that we've gone through in our life, for me, uh, a huge section uh, of my past and, and much, much development just as a person and, and also as a pastor and different things was uh, my opportunity to be a part of the team that planted Kensington Community Church back in Troy back in 1990 and then to be on staff there for 13 years before they actually you know, kicked us out and let us come out here to, to, to plant K2. And uh, I am really honored and pleased today to, uh, if many of you have seen Steve before, but Steve Andrews is the lead pastor uh, back at Kensington, the founding pastor of that church. And, and uh, outside of my wife, I think the most influential person uh, for me personally. And to have him here, we scheduled him a long time ago to come in and to speak on this, on this Sunday. And um, so I'm just really, really excited to have Steve here to speak to us about what it really means to remember God and his faithfulness. And if it's anything like first service, you guys, it's going to be a really good day. You're going to be glad you showed up. So would you warmly welcome Steve Andrews up here? (laughs) Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. You know, and and every time Steve shows up or any time I go back to, but especially when you come out here, Mm -hmm. you guys, you need to realize that this church would not exist if it wasn't for this guy. I mean, it, that's, that's why, looking back at the history, your, your obedience to say yes to God to plant Kensington is the only reason that this place exists today. Mm. And so you guys, as you sit here, you don't know Steve, but you need to know, if you love this place and the community and have had a chance to be part of this church, you need to just have an attitude of gratitude even right now in your heart uh, as Steve shares with us. So let's pray <laughs> real quick before we start. Thanks, buddy. Father, thanks for this man. Um, thanks for bringing him into my life. Thank you for how you fill him with your spirit and give him the grace to follow you and, and just, and God, for the chance to be partners and to be friends, <laughs> co-laborers um, for the rest of our life together. Um, God, we just thank you for what you've already done this morning and just pray you do it again. Just fill him up with your spirit and uh, give us ears to hear. And would you give us the grace to have the eyes of our heart actually be enlightened so that we can understand the deeper things about who you are and why you do what you do and how wonderful you are. So bless him, bless us as we gather. We just want to really leave this place knowing that we, we actually encountered God today. So we thank you that you're here in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Love you, man. Thanks. Guys, it's, it is so cool to be here. And I, I want you to know this, that the last really five years when Dave and Susie and the team moved out here, Eric and Paula, Mike and Susie, Andy and Beth came in to join this team. I can promise you there has never been a Sunday that has gone by that I didn't think of you. And think about what you were doing. Now, I didn't think of the white box. and I, This is my first day in the white box. Normally I speak, I'm in the red box. A shout out to the red box people. So, but it would be impossible for me to overstate how much I love K2, how much I love Dave and Susie and Eric and Paul and the gang. In fact, Jason Brum just came up to me and said, he said, do you know what Wednesday is? He says, Wednesday, 14 years ago, you married Jen and I. And I'm like, that makes me feel terrible because I am old. I would have never guessed it had been 14 years. But it is such such a joy to be here, even in this time of uh, incredible loss that you guys experienced here a couple weeks ago. And I just know that God is going to be working in the lives of all of you in a special way. And as Dave was talking about remembering, I realized that I had great memories of playing like tackle football in the front yard growing up as a kid. 
But I've been in Detroit for 30 years, and you know what? I have a great Thanksgiving memory that most of you can't truly appreciate, but I, have, I get to have the memory of the Detroit Lions ruining every Thanksgiving of the last 30 years. <laughs> Losing on Thanksgiving Day and ruining Thanksgiving. So, um, But we're good this year. We're getting ready to go undefeated the rest of the season. Okay, you can tell I'm a man of faith. Um, I want to share with you today, seriously, some stuff about God's faithfulness and to remember that. And um, what I'm going to share with you is just truly one of the great parts of the Bible. And uh, Dave talked a little bit about some of this uh, a couple weeks ago, but I want to share with you again this story. This is just this one story of the people of Israel. After years of futility and death in the wilderness. Now, how many years did the Israel people, after they got out of Egypt, how many years did they just wander around? Do you remember? Now, 40 years. Think about that. That's a long time. And every one of those people that were wandering, that when they started it, if they were uh, adult age, probably young adults, they witnessed the death of virtually every one of their mothers and fathers, of just wandering, waiting for God to prepare them, to get them ready to go into the land. But the story that I'm going to read to you today is a moment where they're getting ready to shake off some of that futility. And it starts in, in chapter 3, but I'm going to start with verse 14. It says, When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, you need to know this. It's really important. The Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, and this is when they were crossing it. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Now think about this. You think you'd remember this? You think you'd have a memory in your life of stepping into a river in, the, in a flood stage river? Have you ever been caught in a river? When I was 17 years old, I went on a float trip on the White River. We were going to catch small rainbow trout. No one told us that they were going to let out the dam the morning that we went on the White River. We started out on a river that was two feet deep. And by lunchtime, we were on a river that was 25 feet deep. We almost died. We got caught and slung under a pier on the side of the river. We lost all of our gear, came out with one paddle and our canoe and our lives. I'm telling you, a river at flood stage is a ferocious, terrible thing to be in. And they stepped in, and the water stopped flowing. Amazing. Now, it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arab of the Salt Sea was completely cut off. So in both directions, there was no water. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Amazing to think about this image, okay? So after all this fertility, God rolls the river back. This is just one of the amazing miracles that God did, right? During this 40 years, he brought water out of a rock. Every day they had bread to eat, right? The manna, they had quail that came in. God had provided for them every step of the way. That's God providing this was, but this was one more miracle along the way. Now, you get to chapter 4 then. It says, when the whole nation 
had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, I've never really thought about this before until this week. But what kind of men do you think were chosen? Now, I'm a pretty large guy, but I have had chronic back pain since college football. If I were going to go into the dry Jordan River and pick up a rock, I decided it would be a rock about this size. Because I would be estimating how big a rock do I want to carry with me several miles to camp that night. Now, is this the kind of men they were picking up? They probably picked 12 men, one from each of the tribes, that were probably would be the most powerful men of the whole nation. And let me tell you, when these guys were walking out, you think they were looking for a small rock? They were walking out like this. Because it says, tell them, it says, So Joshua called together the twelve, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. Okay, he picks Andrews. Does anybody want to come up and touch this right here while we're talking? This was an invitation. And you can believe that these 12 guys was probably for them the most important moment of their life. Now think about that. You could boil all the moments of your life down to the most important moment. This is probably the most important moment. And Okay. Everyone, on the count of three, we're going to raise our hands and, and we're going to all guess how big we think the rocks were that these guys were picking up. Okay? Ready? On the count of three. Ready? Three. Okay. You, how, you're, you're like this. How heavy would a rock like that be? Probably three or 400 pounds, probably. And I'll bet, you, I'll bet you that some of the men picked up 300-pound rocks and carried them because they wanted these rocks to be what God had told Joshua, to be a, a reference, a memory of God's faithfulness. And they did it. And then I followed along. Right? I, I bet you there were other people when they saw the guys getting the stones. I bet other people of Israel were picking up little stones, don't you? Going, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember this day too. I'm going to take it along because I don't want to forget what God has done. Now, when you get to them taking up the stones on their shoulders, he says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, you're one of those 12 guys. You're asked to pick up a stone, and the stone is to be a witness of God's faithfulness. For how long? Forever. Do you realize that those stones will live in eternity future? What those guys were doing was really important, was bearing witness to the faithfulness of God. And here's what I want you to see today with me in just a few minutes we have. I want you to see this. I want you to know that there are memorial stones that God wants to plant in your yard and plant maybe on your refrigerator door, or plant in your scrapbook, but certainly to plant it in your heart. That God wants you to remember three kinds of memorial stones today. You with me? And if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down, because the first one, they're all three out of the story. The first one is from Joshua 3, verse 7, but it's what I call people stones. Every person in this room, whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, you have people stones 
that are the turning points of your lives. If you're in the red box, you have people. By the way, did you guys in the red box raise your arms when I asked for a stone? Because while the singing goes within the service, I'm going to come over and pounce on you if you didn't. Okay, so there is this sense of, of the people in your life. This is the people who've touched your life. Mentors, parents, siblings, friends, teammates, husbands, wives, children. The importance of these people cannot be overstated in their lives. Listen to what Joshua 3, verse 7 says. God said to Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. What's he telling them? He's saying, Joshua, today's the day when you become one of the people stones for the people of Israel from here and for all time. You see, Joshua was that kind of person to all the people of Israel, just like Moses was. And Moses, there was no one like Moses. But here's the great thing, you guys, is every one of us has people like that in our life. Even if God is only a recent addition to your life, you're not even sure that you want Jesus Christ to be the king of your life you can still look back and realize there were people that loved you and showed kindness to you and revealed God to you along the way. This, and these are the people stones of our lives. You know what? I think of my mom and dad. I think of Gary Sattler. I was telling, uh, I don't think my, you didn't know about Gary Sattler. I don't, I don't, did you remember that story? It, when it was in college, three and a half years, he was a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Glenelg, Illinois. He came over to the college, drove about 15 minutes one way, picked me up and took me out to breakfast every morning for three and a half years and mentored me and bought me breakfast for three and a half years. You see, so I, have a, I should have a stone somewhere in my, in, my, in my room or in my office. I should have a stone that says Gary Sadler. Um, I remember the, the impact of my wife, of M. Griffin, of Dave Olford, of uh, Dave Nelson, and Eric Winter. Um, I cannot begin to describe you. Um, that when Dave Nelson came to me, probably nearly six years ago, and he said, Steve, I still love being a part of Kensington, but I'm telling you, I feel something moving under my feet. I feel the ground moving under my feet, and I don't know what it is. You know what I, you know what I said to myself? I didn't say it to him, but I said to myself, I said, oh, crud. You know what that means? It means something great is getting ready to happen for Dave and something bad for me. <laughs> and he came back a few weeks later, and he said, Steve, I think it might be Salt Lake City. I'm like, Salt Lake City? Do people even live in Salt Lake? (laughs) Now they say that about Detroit, right? Does anybody live in Detroit? I'll be the last one. I'll turn the lights off. (laughs) And so Dave Nelson was certainly one of the greatest gifts that God had ever given me. When I was in college, I remember there was a, a period of time where I was very discouraged. And I read in Proverbs, the scripture in Proverbs, it says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And it was in that moment that I felt Jesus Christ was saying to me, Steve, I will be closer to you than anything. I will be the friend who sticks closer to brother. And what I didn't realize is that not only was he going to bring that to truth in my life, but he was going to bring other people into my life who would be even closer than a brother. You know what? And Dave Nelson and Eric Winter were two of the greatest, I mean, just incredible. And the whole K2 team was unbelievable. But I've never enjoyed working with anybody more than Dave Nelson. I've never had a more trustworthy work partner than Eric Winter. Never had anybody more trustworthy to, to get it done. And so for them to come out here was a tremendous gain and a tremendous loss. But those guys are people stones in my life. You see, I should have a rock. I should have a stone that says Dave Nelson. And I should have a stone that says K2. 
Because I think about, I've never had a weekend. I haven't thought about you guys. And these people are so important for a couple reasons. One is because they are a statement of God's faithfulness in your life. I don't want to challenge you. Go ahead right now and write down two or three of the names. Okay, go ahead. Just do it. Okay, three of you are doing it. Great. The rest of you, thanks very much. I'm going back to Detroit now. The red box, I hope you're doing the same thing. Write their names down for a couple reasons. Because whenever their name comes to you, you should remember God's faithfulness. The second thing is, is you should thank them. You should tell them what they mean to you. Whether it's your mom and dad or a school teacher or somebody that, that brought the love of God to you in a way that made God real in your life, thank them along the way. You know what I was thinking about today and I realized I haven't thanked him in probably 30 years? When I was in eighth grade... I was 13 years old. It was a couple of months before I turned 14. I told my parents I was going to the Memphis Public Library, and I did, but then I snuck out with some buddies, and we threw smoke bombs in a senior, retired senior residence center, three-story building. It turned out to be a four-alarm four fire. Uh, three of the four Memphis fire stations converged on this place, and we were running from the cops. In fact, we were so stupid, after we threw them in the in, in the senior residence center, we, the, the Memphis, it, was a, it was a warm fall after evening, warm fall evening, and we went through three or four more smoke bombs in the library, and then we ran. Now, we were arrested a couple of days later. I'm not going to tell you that part of the story. Um, <laughs> but the part of the story that I do want to tell you is I got home drenched in sweat, 13 years old. I'm sneaking in the back door of a home where my father has just finished teaching a Bible study for 100 people. And I'm trying to sneak in the back door through the kitchen to get up to my bedroom. As I come into the kitchen, there's a guy named Rob Saunders standing there. I didn't know Rob. I was 13. He was 23. He's a, a guy that my brother knew in high school. He was known for being the biggest partier at Central High School. But the year before, he'd become a follower of Jesus Christ. And before I could get out of the kitchen, he looked at me. And he said, so tell me, man, how you doing with Jesus Christ? And you know what I could, all I could think of was? Of all the times in my life, no one's ever asked me that question in the same way before or since. That in all the times of my life that that question would be asked to me, that was the night. Because I knew what I'd done was wrong. I knew that probably I'd terrified senior, senior citizens. We knew that we were probably going to get caught because we were stupid. But I realized that God put Rob Saunders in that kitchen to be the people stone that caught me at probably the most important moment of my life, to be a crossroads on whether I was going to follow Jesus Christ or not with my life. And I, I tried to blow him off. He said, so how are you doing, Jesus? I said, well, I'm, I'm doing fine. He says, no, really. How are you doing? And I hated him. <laughs> I hated him. And finally, he put me in the corner. And I couldn't get out. And finally, he said, Steve, come on, give me the answer. I said, you know what? I said, I don't know. And I'll never forget, he said, well, you need to find out. And I finally I got out of the kitchen. I ended up attending a Bible study he taught for three years after that. But that was, for me, probably a crossing the River Jordan moment where God met me. You guys think of all nights when I would get buttonholed and cornered by a young fanatical Christian. Of all the nights in my life, it would happen that night. And two days later, I got arrested. God's love and faithfulness was working in my life. In the same way, you need to remember those people, and some of you might be brand new. It might be Dave Nelson or Mike, 
Mike Rutledge. You might, be, you might create a people stone moment this Friday night when you come to hear Mike Rutledge's new CD get released because God wants to work. The second thing I want you to see is this. Not only are there people stones, but there are what I call experience stones. Experience stones. These are moments where God shows up in a particular time and a particular place and reveals to you that he can be trusted with your life. And those experiences can be the worst moments of your life. They can be the most terrifying, or they can be, the, they can be a, great, a great success. But either way, these are moments when God shows up. Look at uh, Joshua 3, verses 15 and 16. Let me set this experience for you. It says in verse 15 of chapter 3, The Jordan at flood stage, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, and it piled up in a heap a great distance away. The river was completely cut off, and so the people crossed over. Can you imagine being something part of that great? You see, the river is at flood stage, and you, you already know that you're crossing the Jordan that day. You're terrified. You have your children. You have your family. You have your possessions. You have your wagons, and God says you're going to cross over. And the minute the priests step into the river with the ark, water parts, just like the Red Sea. And you're never going to forget that moment. I want you to know something. God wants every one of you to have those moments in your life. And when I look back in my life, I could probably give you 15. I'll tell you what. Dave Nelson came back to me and he said, Steve, I think it's Salt Lake City. You know what that was for me? That was a rolling back of the river. God was meeting us right there. Little did we know what he was going to do. I'll tell you another one of my favorite moments, and it has to do with you guys, is eight days before K2 went public four years ago, the core team of about 75 people went up to Mill Creek Canyon. Were any of you, were any of you here in this room there? Just raise your hand if you were there, okay? There's like six or seven of us that were in the room. Was that not one of the most unbelievable nights of your life? Because we were, we, it, was, it was Saturday night, we weren't going to have Sunday services, and the next Sunday... We, K2 was going to be public, and I wasn't going to be there. I was going back to Detroit, and I was going to miss the grand opening, and that was an unbelievable time, and I'm sure some of you were there for that. We were up, we were up on Mill Creek Canyon, and earlier that day, the wind had started blowing, and the wind had started blowing. By the time we got up there, do you remember? I mean, the wind was howling. Dave Nelson got up to give us a great visionary pep talk moment for how great K2 was going to be, and he was up there going, you couldn't hear him. I don't think I'm exaggerating, but I think there were guests, gusts up to 60 miles an hour that night. Now, people tell me I'm prone to exaggeration, but, and everybody's looking at me like, Steve, I think it was more like 10. No, it wasn't. It was blowing up there. And I remember feeling like God said to me, Steve, the Holy Spirit, he said, my Holy Spirit is going to blow through Salt Lake, through the team of K2 and through the people. And God's grace is going to be experienced in the lives of many. And my Holy Spirit's blowing into this valley that I love. It was an awesome night. I'll never forget it. It was an experienced stone. I should have a stone that says Milk Creek Canyon on it. God showed up. And you need to remember those places as well. Visualize the place and visualize God showing up. But there's a third kind of stone. And here's the thing that I'll tell you when I relate to my children. My oldest daughter's here today. It's awesome. It's the first time she's been to Salt Lake. Uh, some of my other kids have been here. It is so cool to realize that there is a third stone. 
And it's a third stone that many people who follow Jesus never get. We get the people stone. Even if we're wandering kind of faithlessly with God, God still shows up in great moments in our life. But there is a third moment. There's a third stone. And I want you to write this down. I want you to remember it. Some of you are going to instantly know what I'm talking about. You're going to remember some of these moments in your life. But I call these the God alone stones. The God alone stones. This is time when God shows up and you say, God, listen, I've put, I've put, I put my value in my appearance. I put my value in my economic certainty. I put my value in how popular I'm with people. I put my value in how well things are going circumstantially for me. And all of a sudden, God drops a stone down in your life. And he says, no, this is the moment where you decide, am I enough? Even if nothing else works out, and it's the God alone stone. And to help me tell you that story today is actually another one of my people stones. Uh, some of you, I don't know if you know this, do you know that um, this last summer we launched a team to start a church in Manhattan? How many of you know that? Just curious. Isn't that cool? And uh, so K2 was nuts. I told the team going to Manhattan, I said, that's nuttier. That's scary up there. There's people up there. <laughs> and uh, they're going up to Manhattan. Well, God's been working on our Kensington team, and our next, next big project outside of Michigan is we're going to Orlando, Florida. Kensington's going to Orlando because we believe Mickey needs to know Jesus. <laughs> uh, actually, we're going there because God was working and another brother in my life. And actually, this guy's getting ready to come up. His first ministry position was at Kensington 17 or 18 years ago as a youth volunteer working for Dave Nelson. How cool is that? And God's taken him on a journey that's prepared him to be the guy who's going to lead Kensington Orlando. He actually already has more adults on his team than went to Manhattan. People, for some reason, are more interested in Orlando. Uh, <laughs> go figure, God, whatever. Um, but anyway, Kevin's going to come up and tell you part of his story. I love this guy. Give him a huge round of applause, will you? Thank you. So we've had a great time. You love Salt Lake, man? It's gorgeous here. Oh, man, I'm loving it. Well, the thing that they don't realize is because we do ministry in Detroit, when we get to heaven, we're going to be way up the banquet table, really close to Jesus, and they're going to be way down at the other end because they live in Salt Lake, and uh, because they get sunshine. If you get sunshine, then you don't get to be near Jesus in heaven. If you're if you're from Detroit, then you 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 know. But we'll 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 we will stoop to come down and visit you guys occasionally at the banquet table in heaven. So, um, Kevin somehow um, God brought him into my life in an amazing situation. Uh, did youth ministry and some other stuff, ended up uh, in one of our sister churches that we'd helped start, became the youth director there, and uh, got married. You were 24, right? Mm -hmm. Married a beautiful gal, and uh, she's at home right now taking care of their four kids. Hope she speaks to you when you get back. <laughs> um, but something happened to you that became your God alone stone, and I want you to, want you to tell them about yeah, it. Yeah. Um I was uh, 24 years old. I was a youth pastor at a church right near there, um, seven months married at the time. And um, late after a Christmas party with the youth, uh, one of the moms came up late, and um, she'd gotten a flat tire about a mile and a half down the road and wanted to call AAA. And I just said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll go change your tire because I want to get home too, and it'll get you on the road a lot quicker. So we went out to 
changed a tire, and I walked around to the back of her minivan to lower the spare. And um, about a minute after that, while I was getting the spare lowered, a uh, girl was driving along the road going about 50, changing radio stations, not paying attention to what was going on, and drifted and um, ended up running into the back of the minivan at 50 miles an hour, never hit her brakes, never saw a thing, and I was standing in between the two cars. Um, it just crushed both my legs. Um, the van was moved 30 feet from a parked position, and uh, I just, I don't even know what happened to me. To me, I'm standing there, I'm glad I didn't see it coming, but the lights went out, um, just like, like a light switch. Um, from what I gather, um, uh, from what they've told me, is a, I wasn't breathing when the nurse, uh, the n- lady I was helping was actually a nurse. She came over, I wasn't breathing, she got me breathing, they put me in an ambulance, and um, I was awake the whole time, I was in shock, I don't remember any of this, but I was awake the entire ride to the hospital, I gave them my name, my address, my phone number, um, they said I was very polite, saying please thank you a lot, which I was very glad, I'm glad I wasn't swearing <laughs> up the storm. Um, <laughs> Uh, but on the way to the hospital, they called the hospital ahead and just said, we've got a train wreck coming. Um, uh, when I got to the hospital, there's a mutilation scale in hospitals for, for limb damage, um, zero to 10 and anything over a six, they can't save. Um, I came in at an eight on both my legs and the doctors heard I was 24 helping a lady change a tire as a youth pastor. I was newly married and they just said, we've got to try. Um, so they got to work on both my legs, and my left one was damaged worse. She had a trailer hitch. My leg was kind of um, closer to the hitch side, um, so it got a lot of ex- extra damage. They called my wife, who was upset with me because I wasn't home, and uh, they just said, your husband's been in an accident. You need to come to the hospital, and she's like, what happened? And they wouldn't tell her because they didn't think I'd make it. You know, they just, they just said, we, we can't tell you. Just get to the hospital as soon as you can. So she came to the hospital not even knowing if I was going to be alive at, the, at that point. They got to work on my two legs. Um, they worked for about 12 hours on my left leg to save it. And um, it got to the point where they had lost me twice on the table. My blood just started um, not, not, um, uh, not coagulating, I believe is the word. And so it just kind of turned to Kool-Aid, started running out of my body. They got me back from that twice and then called my wife. She's 23. She's, you know, we're seven months married. And they call her and they say, um, we need your permission to amputate his leg. Um, and she had to make that decision at 23 years old. And finally, the doctor said, it's his legger's life. And so she just, she made the choice. She's like, I'm take his leg. And she, at that point, is not knowing, is, is he going to hate me the rest of his life? You know, is he ever going to be the man that I married? Um, and how's this going to work out? But she just knew, okay, it's his legger's life, take his leg. So they ended up taking my left leg about three inches below the knee, um, fixed up my right leg. And then I ended up being in a coma for 10 days. Don't remember a thing. I lost 10 days of my life. December 25th, 1997, Christmas Day, I wake up, and um, I had no clue what had happened, and the doctor and my wife were talking over my bed about somebody who'd lost their leg, and I literally remember sitting there listening to them talking and going, man, that really stinks for that guy. I had no clue it was me, and so I, I'm laying there, I'm listening to them talk, and she's asking questions, well, will he be able to do this, will he be able to do that? And I'm listening, and, and all of a sudden, I start realizing I'm in a hospital, mm. I started to realize, okay, I, I'm the one in the bed, and I've got the gown on. And I just stop them mid, mid-story. I'm just like, are you guys talking about me? And just the look on their face was like, yeah. And, and I'm not lying. Just, we just cried about two hours, just tears. I just as, as everything in my life that I had known up to that point, I knew would never be the same. Ever. I didn't even know that you could live after something like this. I didn't know. I had never met an amputee in my life. And I'm just thinking, am I going to ever walk? Am I going to be anything like I was? And um, every day, you know, it's just every day I just kind of free fell into some of the lowest points of my life that I've ever experienced. Just broken. Um, 
I was 24 years old. I was an athlete. I played sky. I played golf on scholarship at a university. I played volleyball, uh, a professional beach volleyball for a while. I mean, I just, just young, had my whole life ahead of me, and all of a sudden, I don't even know what tomorrow looks like. Um, about 10 days after I woke up, they uh, kept talking about taking me to the jacuzzi room because they needed to flush out all the road debris from the wounds on my body. And I'm thinking jacuzzi. Thing too, it's hard, just sitting here today, it's hard to describe how torn up you were. Oh, oh yeah. Well, this is... Because um, you look good now. Thank you. Um, uh, but they kept talking about the jacuzzi room, and I'm thinking finally something's going to feel good because jacuzzis are nice, you know? Uh, well, they bring me into this room, and it, there's no jacuzzi anywhere. It is a big steel tank with a crane that rolls along the ceiling for putting people like me in it to get rid of road debris. So, so they take me over to this cot. They, they, they lay me on it. They raise me up, wheel me over the water. And right before they put me in the water, they take, they take off my gown and they take off all the, the bandages and lower me in the water, close the curtain and set a timer for 20 minutes. And it is the first time since I had woken up that I was alone by myself. And I look down at this, what once was a very healthy body, and I mean, there's just stitches everywhere. The, my, the end of my left leg, you can see the muscles through the skin because the skin wasn't healed. I've got stitches everywhere. And I'm looking down, and for the first time, I realize there's, there's no coming back from this. This is just, it's, it's over. And, and to be totally honest with you, I have never cried harder in my life because I'd never felt more alone because I didn't know what was to happen. And... As I started to get angry, those tears were sorrow for a few minutes, and then they started turning to anger and bitterness. And as I got angry and I got bitter, I'm at the lowest point I've ever been in my life. I start taking that anger and focusing it on God. And I just started to just get into, how could you let this happen? Why weren't you there? Do you understand what the rest of my life is going to be? Just anger started building up in me. And as I looked into God's face to just give him both barrels the best way I can describe it and what stopped me cold in my tracks is I looked at his face. There were tears streaming down his face. And in that moment, that anger started turning to something different because I realized, oh my gosh, he never left me. He was hurting right along with me. He was there the moment that car hit me. He was there in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. He was there in the, in the operating room as those surgeons were operating on me. And he has been with me every step of the way. And as I realized that he was there and that he was hurting with me, I literally, I, I lost it even on a deeper level. And I literally, just, if you could see it, I just crawled up in his lap and wept. And he held me like a little boy, like a dad would hold a little boy. And he just whispered in my ear, Kevin, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And where the stones come in, as I look back on that moment, into my sorrow entered hope. Into my sorrow entered this God that I didn't know if I could trust with something like that, but all of a sudden he was there meeting me in that moment. And we put down some stones there, and every time I look back, there's hope. In that moment, at my lowest point of my life, God stepped in. We laid down these, these God-alone stones and every time I look back, you know what? I look back 12 years from now, back at those stones, and I'm okay. In fact, I watched the fourth of our four kids born 12 days ago. I'm getting the opportunity to start a church in Orlando, Florida. And I look back at the last 12 years, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more joy-filled one-legged guy. 
you know, because of what those stones represent is that God can be trusted. God is faithful. And 12 years later, I look back and I'm so thankful that he met me in my despair and we put down those stones just like the people of Israel. I would, I would never in a million years have wished that for you. And I remember, um, in fact, when Kevin was finally awake, I visited him a few times when he was sleeping, you know, and he was in a drug-induced coma. And, but I remember after he was awake, I went up to him, and I, so rude, I still can't believe it. I, I pulled, pulled the sheets up. I wanted to see his legs. He's like... Because I was naked under the sheets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think... Here's the thing that's incredible. It's, it was a God alone stone for you, mm-hmm. but it became a stone for me. Because part of it was like, God can meet Kevin in this place. Because, man, you were, you, were torn, you were torn to shreds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, if God can meet you here, then he can meet anybody anywhere. And I've watched God use that in your life. And I thought, for every one of us who's here today, God, God wants to meet us. He doesn't want us to be in a car crash. But what he wants more than any circumstance or or any event is he wants you to know that he's enough. That he's enough. That... So all of a sudden, you quit making bargains with him. You quit making deals. You quit saying, well, you do this for me, I'll trust you with my life. Or if this works out, I'll go for it. And you finally reach this God alone moment where you say, God, I don't know. Maybe I'll never walk again. Maybe I'll never play golf well again. I remember a um, couple of months after that, Kevin and I went out to a, a golf course. It was real hilly. He was just learning to walk. You were walking with a cane, weren't you? Didn't even have a leg yet. I was, Is that right? I was still on one leg. And I was trying to bet him in golf. And uh, it's, I knew it was the only chance I'd ever have to beat him. And, uh, and I remember, I remember you, there was, a, was, a, was one of the back part of the golf course, and you chipped and fell backwards down the hill. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and that, that, that's something I'll never forget. It's just like, wow. But Jesus has been enough, you know, every step of the yeah. way. Absolutely. And I think what we wanted to leave with you guys here today is we don't know what the future holds. Don't know about your family. Don't know about you personally. But we know that Jesus Christ is enough. We know that he's going to be enough for Dave and Darcy Rhodes in the dark days that lie ahead. And we know that he can be trusted with our lives. And I want you to know something for me. When, you know, my God alone moment, I was 14 years old. And I knew I wanted him more than anything else. And I can, and Kevin and I and Dave, and we can look back on a lifetime of God being enough. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He can be trusted with our lives and our circumstances. And, and, and we can look back at every event and say, be trusted and so today I just want to encourage you to remember his faithfulness 
And if you've never experienced his faithfulness before, I want you to know something. I don't know what you're going through, but he can be trusted with your life. He can roll back the rivers of the Jordan. He can reach right where you are. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for, um, for this incredible blessing of being with people I love, for this great church. And uh, Lord, let this community of faith, this K2 community, be a memorial stone of, a, of the living Jesus Christ for the broader Salt Lake community and in partnership with other people who love you, Jesus, with all their hearts. Do something incredible. And let it spill from here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, here's how I want to wrap up. I'd love for the ushers to go ahead and come forward to receive our offering. And I'm sure there are some of you that are visiting. And at Kensington, we just always remind that this, this moment is financial moment is for people to give thanks to God and to remember it's also time for our K2 family that we're in this together we're in partnership together it's time for us to give and this is what I want to finish before the band comes up to lead us in a time of remembering God's goodness the band can come on out is I want to finish just with this last verse the last verse of Joshua 4 and I hope some of you read it when you go home but in Joshua 424 it says this he did this so that all the peoples of the earth would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This word, know, is the kind of knowing. It means you know with your head and you know with your heart. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know. You know why God has allowed Kevin to go through what he's been through? It's because God wants the whole world to know through Kevin's life that he's faithful. Do you know why God is working in you? Tell me. Because he wants the whole world to know what? That he's faithful and that he's strong and that he loves and that he's enough. And if we become that as a church community, untold blessing is going to come as a result.